You're listening to the iRacers Lounge Podcast, where we discuss everything iRacing in a casual setting. Enjoy. Welcome to the iRacers Lounge. I'm your host, Mike Ellis. iRacers Lounge is a podcast for the iRacer, where we talk all things iRacing in a casual setting. Joining me are the usual characters, Brent McCoy. Good evening. David Hall. Hello. Will Gibson. Hey, what's up, everyone? And special guest, Michael Gorilla. Hey, how's everybody doing? Hey, doing good. Thanks for coming, everybody. Uh, today's special guest is brought to you by Sim Lab Racing Sim Products. Sim Lab provides quality sim racing chassis to suit your sim racing needs. Check them out at sim-lab.eu. All right, well, uh, Michael, uh, as I call you sometimes, Michael G. On our previous podcast, I have a little bit hard time with your last name which uh, we found out is Italian, and it has a silent G in it. So it's Gorilla. Yeah, it's Gorilla, okay. yep. All right. Well, let's get to know you a little bit. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, tell us about the first time you heard the word iRacing, and how did you get involved? Well, first off, I'd like to thank you guys for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, as far as iRacing goes, I had not heard a peep about it until at least 2014. Uh, I originally started on uh, the console games, especially on like the Xbox games where I had the 2005 NASCAR chase for the cup. Uh, that was like my original first one that got me into it. But as I went along, I kept progressing through the games. And then about 2014, I saw a video of one of the peak races. I think it was like at Pocono, I believe. And I just got hooked off that, just watching the cars go around and seeing how close they were racing and looked pretty close to real life at the time and then i got around to buying a, a computer around 2015 started on a little small laptop running 20 frames per second uh started on actually uh, xbox controller and then about a year later moved into wheel and here i am all right well welcome that's great uh so you're running the peak series uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later but what else are you running besides peak uh, i know that you spent a lot of practice for that but are there any other series uh, hosted or league events that you're running? Uh, currently, I'm not running anything besides Peak. Um, I'll do the occasional NIS every now and then if I'm up to it and my uh, schoolwork uh, allows me to. I used to run a RSR Full Throttle Series every Monday nights. That usually was a pretty good series. It kind of got me off a starting point on iRacing. Uh, I ran a full season last year. Came up just a little bit short in that uh, season championship. But other than that, I'm pretty much just strictly peak testing roughly about 10 hours a week. Right. All right. Uh, tell us about your hardware setup. Wheels, pedals, computer. Are you doing VR or monitor, that kind of thing? Yeah, of course. So I everything I have right now has been the same since 20, uh, 2016. So I bought an iBuyPower. It's got a i5 processor. Uh, has 128 gigabytes of RAM. Uh, I just installed a new power supply, a bronze 600 series in last year because I had issues with my computer and that was short, uh, short circuiting it pretty bad. Then I moved into for wheel, I had Logitech G27 pedals and wheel that I've been on a wheel stand my entire time. I don't understand how people run, uh, with the wheel on the desk. I've just never preferred it. And I just felt like the wheel stand was best for me. So I've uh, been running on that since about 2016. What are you sitting on? Uh, just a, just a regular office chair. Everyone's 
bought different chairs in their lifetime. I hear some people run like a plastic chair. Some people run like a DX racer or have their their own seat. But I've just preferred the office chair. Has it got like rollers on it? You're rolling around. Oh yeah, got the rollers. Got some sidebars on the side for my arms. Pretty stiff sometimes, but it's it works for me. Okay, great. That's how kind of how I started with an office uh, with a desk and a roller chair. Uh, cool. Uh, and then let's talk about what's your preferred car number if you were to choose one to run. So originally, uh, a normal uh, iRacing series, I run 34. That's just because I'm a Red Sox fan. Been one since the early 2000s. And I was always a fan of David Ortiz as a player. So that's who I've always modeled after. Uh, this year, I chose number three. Uh, for peak to start with because we had uh, originally dead zone racing had aligned to be one through four and that kind of worked out that way so one was i believe blake reynolds at the start of the year two was kane cook and he still is that number of course my number changed to 15 after i was three and then number four is nathan lyon okay uh well let's talk a little bit about uh you know the the draft and we had the draft at the beginning of the year uh, i think you came out of that as an independent and then recently you got picked up by uh, jim beaver esports tell us how that went down what was that about i you know what i heard about it, i'm like who's jim beaver we had to go look it up what, what did tell us what how that went down your thoughts are exactly the same as mine when i was like who is jim beaver and like how is he involved with racing so um, the whole story about me finding out was I actually was asleep at the time and my teammate, who's actually my roommate, uh, Eric Smith, he called me to wake me up. And he's like, dude, we just got drafted and uh, like a mid, like still waking up. I'm like, what? And so I was like kind of excited once I really figured out what actually happened. But yeah, uh, Jim, he's a trophy truck driver and a pro turbo UTV desert racer. Uh, he's created the Polar, uh, sorry, Polaris RZR cars, uh, star car program. And he's just been a lot of like off-road stuff, especially with the dirt racing. Uh, trophy trucks have been his thing for a long time now. And now he, tr- he covers a lot of series like the Lucas Oil Off-Road Racing Series and all those kind of story- series like that. But yeah, I found out about him a little bit. Got to talk to him through email recently. And he's really been a nice guy. Okay, well, congratulations on uh, getting picked up. Uh, I, I imagine it was kind of a surprise this late in the season that that's happening. I mean, we saw that with a, uh, another team here recently, but uh, I wasn't expecting any more. And then all of a sudden, boom, here's, uh, here's Beaver. Yeah, I wasn't either. Uh, I, when the draft happened, I was a little disappointed I getting drafted. But as time went on, I saw teams start coming up. I'm like, maybe I'll get around to it. But it, it finally happened, and here I am. Yeah, very good. All right. Uh, let's talk about your season a little bit. Uh, I went and recorded your finishes, and I'm going to read them out here from start to finish uh, in peak. 33rd, 31st, 32nd, 19th, 23rd, 11th, 20th, 9th, 21st, 18th, 16th, and 13th. Yeah, so the start of the year was still on the old package where we had the low downforce, high horsepower. Uh, Daytona was an anomaly. I, I messed up on the opening laps, still kind of had the, the, the nervous jitters. So that kind of messed me up on it wrecked early. Um, Vegas, I had an incident where I was running back towards the top 20 and just had an incident and that put me behind on the cue ball. 
Right. Uh, Auto Club, I had an 18th run coming through turn three in the final corner, and of course I got wrecked there, and I finished 32nd, so that was kind of a little disappointing. I would have had a bigger gap to the cut uh, where I'm at right now. But ever since that 19th place finish um, following Auto Club, I've been on a roll of decent runs. Yeah. Uh, of course, Charlotte was the big one. Ninth place finish there. We had the car really hooked up on the new package there. Uh, qualified fifth, was able to run up front the entire time and could have had a few more spots, but I was just too loose at the end of that race. And then, of course, at Pocono, the, the most recent race, that was just all sorts of crazy. I didn't have a great qualifying, uh, started at the back and then found my way at the front and towards the end. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a, you had a good run at Tally and, and Texas and, uh, and, and the Pocono. I, I mean, that was a lot of good luck there, wasn't it? I mean, trying to get through all that mess. Oh, yeah. Uh, of course, like I said, the qualifying spot didn't help, but I mean, the initial wrecks on like lap three uh, didn't really help. It scattered the whole field out, split us up into two different strategies because some try to make it on one stop to the end from there. And then I unfortunately had to make two stop work because I just didn't save enough fuel on that first run. Uh, but a late race caution saved us. I stayed out on fresh tires because I came out on that second stop. And as soon as I came out on track, uh, the caution came out and I was like, oh, yeah, I can work on with some fresh tires and stay out on this uh, caution. And I wound up fifth. But as I went off into turn one and the other guys who stayed out with me, we just basically got really tight going through one. I, I realized that there was just too many laps left. So I had to pit. And then from then on, it was just missing all the wrecks. I remember the, the one wreck off turn one with about 60, 62 laps on the board or so. I was going down towards the bottom, and all I felt was the the bumps, because on the very bottom of Pocono off two, I'm sorry, off one, there's a lot of bumps down there, and then I almost plowed the wall down, trying to miss the wreck, but I barely scraped by, and that really saved my race. Right. Well, it seems like the new package has suited you well. I mean, since it come out, your your finishes have were, have gone up, and uh, with the best of ninth. Now, in points, uh, over at enascar.com, uh, you're sitting uh, 18th, with, and that's eight points away from the cut line of 20th. Uh, and that, I guess that's the goal right now. You're trying to get top 20? Yeah, uh, I'm not too concerned about making the playoffs. Of course, if I, uh, if I do make it, that'd be great. Yeah, it just means more exposure for myself and the team and getting an advantage to try and go chase for $40,000. But my main focus is just trying to make next year's peak series. Uh, of course, it's my rookie season, so I mean, if I can come away with the license for next year, that'd be great. Uh, but I have a small gap back to 20th, as you said, eight points, and then ahead of me in 17th is an even bigger gap, probably about 20 points or so, up to the next driver ahead of me. So I need to make that up in the next few races here as we're getting down to crunch time before the playoffs. Yeah, there's a bunch of good drivers that you're running there uh, uh, against for that 20th spot and, and better. And uh, you got your work cut out for you, for sure. But, you know, you're, you're doing pretty good. I looked at your stats, your overall winning oval percentage, 7.2, uh, which is pretty good. Uh, it was much higher before you got going into peak and pro, it looks like. And, and it's kind of settled into that because you're running those harder races. Yeah, I had set some time away this year just for peak only, just so I knew it was a lot of focus I had to put on it. So I haven't been running as much official races, so I haven't been trying to put myself into races i've just been trying to set myself up for testing getting all those laps in getting all the experience i need for each race uh i think the last two years have been my most active just trying to make sure i get towards peak and that of course i'm here now uh, i came up short twice 
I finished uh, 17th back when they took 10 drivers, and I finished 23rd back when they took top 20 the last two years. So it was pretty good to get in last year to pro and have a good season there, come out and do well here. So tell us about they make they did change up uh, the road to pro uh, that you went through, and and how you have to qualify to get a chance at the peak, and obviously you did as this is your rookie year. Tell us how you did in that road to pro. Uh, is that a good feeder system? Uh, what would you change about it? Um, so the way the whole system works is, of course, you have the road to pro. So that's the Gander Outdoor Trucks, and you race that for 12 weeks, and it's got a variation of tracks. When I ran. One of the, the toss-up tracks was Eldora, and then this year it's um, Sport in Canada. Uh, so I think it's a good system just because it allows you to have other drivers that you race against. You're not racing against a set field, and it gives you an opportunity to experience a different types of track. Like I said, they go to Daytona. They go to Pocono this week. Uh, they just went to Sport last week, and it just shows how difficult you have to be just across against all those different tracks and perform well across the 12 weeks. So then once you make it to those 12 weeks, you then go into pro, which is a 10 race uh, series uh, that ends up, I think at Homestead as the final race. Uh, that was even more challenging just because you know, you're going up against the 20 best of that road to pro series. And then the bottom 20 of peak. And now you're thinking to yourself, once you get to pro, Oh, it's just the bottom 20 of peak. I can, I can do that. It's a whole different ball game because, I mean, there's some guys below the cut line right now who are running top five speed almost every week. I mean, Ray Alfala is below the cut line right now to make it to the series next year. I mean, he's a four-time champion. Uh, Nick Shelton's down there. He he basically finished top eight in points rookie year, and he's just been having tough luck this year. I mean, there's a lot of good guys down there. So once they get down to that pro series or whoever the bottom 20 are, they're still going to put up a huge fight. So you know it's still going to be a huge task just to make it to peak. Yep. All right. Very good. Um, tell us about the team uh, behind the scenes, not the Jim Beaver Esports, but who who is helping you with the setups? Do you have a spotter? Do you have a crew chief? Uh, who are your teammates? That kind of thing. Uh, yeah. So uh, originally it's Dead Zone Racing. Uh, we have a large portion of the uh, this peak series. I think we have eight drivers in there amongst the drafted teams and the non-drafted teams. Uh, basically the main setup builders over there are Houston Hammer and, uh, Dustin Langert. A lot of them put a lot of work into their setups every week and it's always great working with them because they know that we, when we all work together, we all can have that response of like, what does the car need? See how the car responds in drafts, see how it works solos on the runs. And it just all works well together at the end of the day. Um, and as far as my spotter and crew chief goes, I have Michael Gonzalez. He, uh, he has a spare time. He's with the team and in his spare time, he does race a lot and he does paint schemes as well. So he painted me my pro car and my rotor pro car as well. So I felt really good about that. And then he just asked me like, uh, do you want me to be your crew chief spotter? I was like, sure. Why not? I got no one else on the box. So he hopped on board and here we are. It makes a difference when you have a real person doing that, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, in the Road to Pro Series and the Pro Series, I didn't really have anybody because they were all dedicated to the other drivers in the team. We still had a lot in both series, but once I had him on top of the box, I had to worry that much less about making setup adjustments. I could just tell him, hey, do this to the car. Hey, put some tape on the car without me having to struggle to do it while making laps at the same time. And it just really benefited me a lot. I could focus a lot more. 
Okay, very good. Um, and uh, so let's talk about how do people follow you and get involved in what you're doing? Do you Twitch? You're on social media or, or Twitter? Uh, yeah, so uh, on Twitter, it's MichaelG3424. Um, on Instagram, MJG3428. And, of course, on Facebook, Michael Gorilla. Um, you can also look on our team and our results, of course, through iRacing and the, the broadcast that they put on on Twitch. Uh, Jim Beaver 15 on Twitter tweets out a lot about our races and all that. And he's really good to keep up with in the series because uh, he always wants to promote our series and our or uh, runs as we go through the season. So yeah, uh, basically I try to promote and talk about the season as much as possible on my Twitter. So that way everyone knows and keeps up with me. So yeah, the main source would be Michael G three, four, two, four on Twitter. Yeah. I need to give uh, Jim Beaver a, a follow as well. I like to follow all the team owners. Uh, they're such a diverse group and it's uh, neat to hear about him getting involved with you. Uh, so congratulations with that. Let's talk about that that last peak race at Pocono, 80 laps. Uh, Ke- uh, Keegan got the pole. Uh, there was a caution lap six. Uh, Garrett Lowe and Clampett get together. Uh, Busa gets collected. Uh, Nova chal- uh, Novak challenges early, but Luza drove up to third and was looking strong. Uh, Keegan misses his stall and only takes two tires. Uh, there was a big wreck in turn two. You were just telling us about that. Uh, Ottinger gets spun by Keegan with Novak on the bottom. Alfala, of course, is collected with his horrible, horrible luck this year. Mm-hmm. Um, what was neat about this wreck is uh, K- Casey Kerwin, who's got the lucky horseshoe, this this uh, who finished second. Uh, Casey uh, put up a little video of his uh, avoidance skills as he went through the middle of that wreck. Uh, some pretty cool uh, driving. Yeah, and fun fact about that, they actually aired that on NBC, uh, NASCAR America, when they had Clint Boyer on on Wednesday for their Boater Mouse segment, and he was loving it. He just he was eating it all up because he is part of his team that Casey is. But yeah, it was pretty cool to even see that just even on NBC before we had the race today. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you're right. Boyer was fired up. Uh, anyway, uh, next up, uh, Novak and Luza play the pit strategy. With Novak pitting a few laps before Luza, um, you were you were just telling us there before uh, some people were doing one and others were two uh, because of the split up pack after the wreck. Yeah, so basically that the wreck with Alfala and Kerwin, where he had the, the wreck of wins, was on lap ten, and at that point we had a few extra pace laps after that, so people were trying to come down and pit with one to go under caution, so that way they could stretch it 32 laps per run. So that way they can make it to the end one one stop instead of two. I had elected to come down a pit under the caution at the start, but in my mind I didn't really think that we could do the one stop, so I short fueled just a little bit so I can get a little more straight straight line speed. And in the end, it just it wouldn't have worked out because by the time I had to come down for my second stop, the one stoppers were already at my back bumper, and I would have at least probably finished mid twenties to maybe top thirty at best. Right. And then 62, uh, Sherburn gets net-coated as Overland was trying to side-draft on the straightaway. Uh, Corey Vincent comes off pit road first. Several drivers stay out on three or four laps uh, on their tires. Wild restart, uh, three wide off of one, four wide into two. Uh, lap 67, big wreck, uh, mid-back in the tunnel turn. Ashton Crowder involved. Uh, then they were four wide for second. Novak, who stayed out on tires, Fell straight back through the back and pushed Ben Nelson up into the wall on his way to the back. 
Uh, yeah. Lap seventy three caution there. I was um, actually a little bit uh-huh. a part of the uh, the Novak wreck where they they stayed out on the tires because I was one of the five who stayed out with them. Uh-huh. And then once they fell through the field, I just knew that was the point where I needed to go to the back and get some tires for the rest of the race. Yeah, absolutely. That didn't quite work out. Um, then Luza, Challenger, Kerwin, and Zelensky, uh, top three on the restart. Luza had the most laps on his tires. Uh, he jumped out to the lead on the restart as they fan out on the front stretch. Kerwin looks to pass Luza as the caution comes out. Uh, lap 78, Timmy Hill noses into the wall. Uh, Novak hits Clampett on the entry to two. Leahy and Ottinger involved. Mullis and Kerwin battle for the win, but Mullis comes out of turn three with the lead on the white flag. Challenger gets spun into one on the final lap. It was a good run for Malik Ray and Casey Kerwin, but Jimmy Mullis wins with that late pass. Yeah, it was a pretty good race overall to, to say for at least the show. Um, Jimmy and uh, no, uh, Casey were working together there in the last restart to try and get around uh, Luza because he still had those older tires and he was trying to bet on staying on the outside of them to going to the one on the restart. But uh, Casey had the inside and Mullis just gave him a shot through one on the restart and it kind of pushed him wide and then Mullis just took advantage in two. And once you get behind somebody, the dirty air just plays such a role in you trying to keep up with somebody. So Jimmy was probably able to hold off Casey that way, using that dirty air, trying to block his line going in the corner. Uh, it was a good race for Jimmy. As My dead zone teammate Malik had a good run as well. He hadn't really had much time to test all week, and he was able to put on a great show there. Uh, I really don't even know how he got through there. I think he was on the one-stop strategy, and he was amidst the mid-pack, and he just did a good job missing all the wrecks, and he ended up fifth. All right. Uh, yeah, it was a good race. Uh, you know, I, uh, Casey Kerwin uh, was definitely the star of the event. Uh, coming up there for a second, I think that's his best finish ever. Uh, so that was kind of fun to watch him. In uh, related peak news, uh, there was an announcement of Steady MD, a uh, sponsorship for uh, Logan Clampett and Ashton Crowder on the uh, Burton uh, uh, Kligerman uh, esports team. And it was announced by uh, on Twitter that it's a five-figure sponsorship as far as how much money. What do you guys think about that? Uh, that means it's over $10,000. It's somewhere between $10,000 and $100,000. How much do you guys think it is? And, uh, wow, that's a lot of money for a sponsor on a peak car. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a huge deal for iRacing just in general to see if we can have sponsorship like that. I mean, you see top teams in NASCAR paying seven figures plus to get sponsorship on their car, and know we can get like a, a similar equation to where Parker was able to get that deal together. It's huge just to know that that ha- that could happen to any team, especially. I mean, I think I mean Jim probably has something lined up where he's wanting to at least. I mean, if you can get five figures with that deal, that's pretty good. And think about the, all the other teams, especially the actual teams that race in cup and all that. Think about what they can get as they come into the next season. All the esports teams grow going into 2020. Well, let's talk about that. Let's transition to the t- today's race. Uh, it was announced over the list last week uh, by iRacing and NBC and NASCAR that they were teaming up for the first ever live network esports sim race featuring the peak drivers with Parker Kligerman. And so that happened uh, right before we recorded today. And Michael, uh, you were in the race. Uh, Tell us about this moment 
in sim racing, this is a major milestone to be, you know, to have the first race broadcast. Now, when they first announced it, I was like, man, it'll probably be like 10 or 15 laps. They'll do it between co uh, commercials, and then they'll stop talking about it. But this wasn't that. It was an actual race over 70 laps at Iowa, and uh, they had all the announcers that they normally have, uh, along with uh, Evan Piscotspo, is that, I can't say his name right, uh, the regular announcer from Peak. Uh, so tell us what you thought about going into this and when you heard about it, and uh, tell us about the prestige of what you think this means. I first off want to say that iRacing and Tyler Hudson put on a great show just trying to get this whole thing orchestrated correctly. I mean, we had it even down to the second, just trying to be precise with everything. And it, it turned out being a great show. I mean, even having the, the commentators for the regular peak races with Evan and Randy on the broadcast there would be great. I mean, it was great to see even hear them on the TV. Uh, as soon as I got done with the race, I, I flipped it on over to see even highlights of the race going on. Uh, being broadcasted across and being talked about by talking heads in NASCAR was just great to see. Uh, I already know that Steve has a team, Steve Latart, and he's really invested into it as well. I mean, he even tweets about it all the time, uh, about his Latart esports team with Nathan Lyon and uh, Chris Shearburn. So I know he plays a big role. He even said on the broadcast that he, he would have been cheering the entire time had they muted his mic. Uh, but it was just great being a part of it and knowing that I was there for the first ever broadcasted race on live TV and being able to race with Parker as well. And that was special as well, just being able to be in the same race as him. Uh, the racing was really tight as well. Uh, I think the whole field was separated by like a few tenths here in qualifying. And as the race went on, it was just great racing throughout the entire field. I mean, you look up front, you got the, the heavy hitters up front, Ottinger and Luza and all them. And then as the field spread out through the back, you still had great racing. I mean, I was back there mid-20s. Uh, I didn't have that great qualifying, so I was basically in the hornet's nest for most of the first run up until the competition caution. And then it just spread out, and it was great to see everybody trying to battle. And we really didn't even have that many incidents. And it, it was great to see everybody racing side by side on top of each other the entire time. It was just a well-put-on uh, event, and it showcased iRacing very well. Yeah, Chris Devota and AJ Allmendinger were doing like color before uh, the event and during, you know, coming in and out of commercial breaks kind of thing, just like they do in the NASCAR race. Uh, Jeff Burton, Steve Letart were uh, helping uh, with the announcing. I would love to hear more of Jeff and Steve uh, during the announcing. It was a little odd because they would kind of throw it to him for a little bit and then they'd throw it back to Evan and then Evan was like by himself and Evan did an awesome, awesome job by himself. Oh, but yeah. If, if he, when he, and I think I heard Randy maybe once the whole time and he jumped in there, but, uh, but they did a great job considering it was the first time. I kind of was wondering you know, who's doing the camera cuts. Is it NBC or is it Race Spot? Um, I believe NBC was working with uh, Hugo and Will Rogers. Uh, yes, Hugo, Luis, and uh, Will uh, Vincent, sorry. Uh, they were the ones who orchestrated most of it, I believe, but they worked very closely with NBC uh, producers. And the, yeah. the NBC producers know a lot about it because they do all the weekly events with Parker, showing, showcasing off all the tracks that they go to, but they did a really good job with it. Yeah, they had us actually do several test races. Uh, the the NBC crew that do the regular race races with them on the other day, other weeks, and so we we hopped on and did several test races so they could test all the graphics. Right. 
And let's talk about that presentation. The graphics were the regular NASCAR NBC graphics that they use on a regular NASCAR race. It NASCAR branded. It's NBC branded. It's whatever sponsor they're presenting is branded. They did the side-by-side -side during commercials, uh, just like they do in the real NASCAR race. And I swear to God, if you weren't paying attention, you wouldn't know that that's not a real NASCAR race. That's how well it looked. And the quality was just top-notch, top-notch. Yeah, I think for the first time ever doing it, it was really well done. Uh, I mean, I came back, like I said, after the race, I was watching the very end of it, and I, I saw the NBC graphic. I was like, this is really legit. Like, it looks really well done, and it looked pretty good, especially the finish as well. So, like I said, it turned out really well, I think. And probably leads to more opportunities if possible, but it, it, it looks great. I hope that they continue to do it more as we go out the rest of the season as well. So, Parker, on the pole, which was kind of a – we didn't know if you guys were giving it to him or what, but that seemed like a fluke. <laughs> but uh, he, got he, the pole. he he put a good lap down. I will say that he had the whole field covered by a tenth or so, but he he really had a good lap in qualifying there. Yeah, Parker will. Uh, Parker made a comment during the race so that he had he was on the track by himself. They wouldn't let anyone else on the track. What he said for about twenty something laps, huh? Oh. Yeah, yeah, a little bit there, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just a just a slight yeah. advantage right there. He, he had the he had the clean track and the very start of the session, so that's when it was at his coolest. So he uh -huh. had cool track. But uh, you gotta give him a little handicap help, you know, yeah. considering who he's racing. I but... mean, we do we do this every week. He does it every now right. and then to showcase all the tracks and what I racing has to offer. So I mean, he did really good. So I watched it in the living room on the big 4K t television, and like I said, it looked great. It looked like a real NASCAR race. Uh, Luza and Schoenberg lead early. Ottinger came on later in the run, though. Uh, no cautions. Uh, there was a 40-lap at lap 40, a competition caution. Uh, but before that, uh, Parker actually got loose as he faded back through the field and hooked the 17. I don't know who the 17 was, but... He got taken out. Yeah, that's Michael Guest. He's actually part of the dead zone group that we have over there. Yeah, he. it was pretty wild to watch that. I was a little bit further back, and I just saw him ricochet back off the wall, and I was like, that's not good. So I, I barely made it through that. So anyway, we got to see some action because Parker wrecked a guy accidentally uh, after getting loose. Uh, we had the competition caution, which I thought was great because it bunched them up. It gave a chance for a commercial. We got to see a restart. Uh, I, Mason noted that he thought quick fixes were on because it looked like people that were damaged weren't damaged. Yes, we had two resets for that race. And then uh, Blake Reynolds uh, came on later uh, up to third. Uh, good run for him. Uh, and at the end, great side-by-side -side racing for the win between Ottinger and Luza. Ottinger takes the win, and uh, he does a great job with donuts, and then they do a post-race show where they interview him uh, verbally. And he did a good job, I thought, you know, considering, and uh, so good job to Nick. Yeah, and Ottinger always tries to display the series really well, and when he puts on a show like that, he always sets an example. He does a great job. He's also a really good driver. He's always a great racer, but especially when I'm around him on track. But just watching back those last few laps with him and Luza going at it was pretty good, especially them throwing sliders back and forth the last two laps. But like I said, it, it went really well. Ottinger did a good job to try and pull it out there at the end. He had a great run off the top off three and four coming to the white and checkered. So my understanding is they're going to run this race four times. 
at the last Thursday of the month for the next uh, three months after this. And so this will happen three more times. And uh, what a great opportunity for iRacing and eNASCAR to, to get on broadcast TV. And, and kudos to NBC for picking this up. This is a huge thing. We've been talking about this on the podcast for a long time, that what is the next step? for esports and, and racing and this is it i think you know this is the next step yeah i agree with you as well i mean i, I sometimes i just sit down and just scrolling through channels and next thing you know i see like other esports series have their stuff broadcasted on actual channels like i remember uh when i was at work the other day i saw an nhl esports event being live broadcasted on the nhl channel i thought to myself that's really cool and then once we announced the the peak uh broadcast today i just thought the exact same thing like i actually get to showcase what iRacing is how great it is to be a part of it and just spread a lot of exposure to it to get other people involved as well i mean i from what i've heard so far the reception was really well taken and a lot of people got a lot of interest in it as well so it looks like it really turned out well and there's a lot more to come with the rest of the peak season and all the other opportunities we get with this broadcast deal and I just hope it goes really well as probably builds off what momentum we have now going into Michigan in another week or so. Yeah, I, I shot out a tweet to uh, thank uh, NBC, the people on NBC, because uh, Chris Devota and AJ and Parker, Jeff and Steve Letart, those guys were so enthusiastic and they really talked it up and they did a great job. And, and especially Jeff Burton and those guys and uh, very uh, happy to see that. Brent, I think you watched it live, too. What was your overall impression? I did. I was extremely impressed with it. First off, from the entire production that NBC put on, it was um, clearly well put together. I was excited to see iRacing themselves put out a tweet, and you could tell the excitement that they had of this event, being that it was you know you, a whole decade's worth of time of work put in for this. This is where you wanted to be. You wanted this to be broadcasted on a national stage. Here it is, you know, so to see that actually happen. And I remember two years ago, three years ago, when I started iRacing, you would think, you know, well, how cool would this be at one day? And to finally see it happen was something that, um, you know, I, I think, and as a part of member of iRacing, I'll, I'll always appreciate that. And to give a shout out to the drivers that participated in this, because it was a clean race. It was a fun race. And it was awesome to see cars at Iowa, right? The stock cars over at Iowa. I mean, that's something hopefully we'll see in the next coming years or two in the real world. But to see what, what you guys could do as far as Michael and the rest of the team over there and to see how you guys could display your talents, this is an awesome opportunity for you guys. And as a fan, I'm extremely grateful for it. And as a, uh, a user and a contributor to iRacing, this is something wonderful to see. Yep. I'd like to see the next step be uh, NBC or fox or whoever is broadcasting the nascar pick up the peak series next year and just broadcast it on tuesday nights live and uh, that's probably the next best step they presented this race today as a nascar race if you looked at the branding the way the screen presented it didn't say i racing a lot anywhere it said nascar this is a nascar's fourth series i wouldn't be surprised if we see the championship finale broadcasted on television 
Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. Uh, I mean, it's just such a big hit, even with this small event here, that I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did it. Or even with the World of Outlaws. I mean, that's an even shorter event, so that's even better for them. Especially, you could watch the, all the heat races, you could watch the LCQ, and you could watch the main event. I feel like that would be a great hit, just as well as the Peak Series. All right, well, let's uh, keep moving. Let's talk about the World of Outlaws. Will, tell us what happened this week. Yeah, so the uh, World of Outlaw late models, they hit the track at Volusia, and Dylan Fox picks up uh, his first win of the year, and that actually gives us five winners in five different weeks. Um, he had to hold off uh, Berger on majority of the race, and there was a couple late race cautions, a bunch to fill back up. Um, the final restart, Bergeron got a little pressure from behind, which allowed Fox to kind of get clear of him, and then coming to the white, they had their final caution come out. And uh, unfortunately, the race ended under caution, but it looks like Fox had him covered either way. A um, couple championship things. Um, last week's winner, Dylan Hauser, was not in the field, which we kind of reported on last week. And Blake Cannon, driver of the 44 Swindell Speed Labs car, um, actually failed to qualify for the feature. He was off the pace in his heat, didn't really do much in the consolation race, so he unfortunately did not um, make the feature, dropping him from first to sixth in the standings. Ooh, ouch. Yeah, big hit there. Uh, Kendall Tucker actually has taken the championship lead with Bergeron only 15 points behind. Um, but it was another really good race. There was a couple more cautions this week than there has been in the past, but it was all really good, hard, clean racing for the most part. Kendall Tucker, top five of them to death. But Alex, I watched this race. He was uh, digging on the outside like he always does. and But Fox was really uh, had the track position in the middle, and he just couldn't get to him. Uh, it was a good race. Yeah, Fox really put his car where he needed to. Uh, Alex couldn't really dive below him because he was running in the middle, and he was Alex couldn't really make a run on the top either because coming off the turn, Fox had just closed the door on him. So it was a really smart race. Um, I think Alex had the speed. It just uh, just track kind of slicked off, and it was just good racing. All right. Jesse, quick on the Ignite Series update. Yes, this week they're, sorry, last week they ran the uh, bull ring at Las Vegas. Aaron Mulrooney's race victory this week earned him more points than Andy Truppiani, Truppiano due to the strength of field. So Truppiano lost ground in the championship points. And today they're at Stafford Motor Speedway. We only got this week and next week's the last week to uh, try to make the uh, playoffs for these guys. So it's intensity is picking up for sure. All right. Let's jump into the 24 hours of spa, or we sometimes called it the 44X of spa. Uh, the reason I call it that is, uh, as we talked about for several weeks uh, before the event, there was a lot of discussion and controversy over the incident limit of 300 that they were going to put on this race. Uh, but iRacing uh, went live with the first uh, event. The 24-hour race had an incident limit of only 44 instead of 300. And so lots of confusion. David, tell us what happened. So they jumped in and found the first limit. There were some immediate responses almost as soon as uh, they, they got the word from, from the ad, iRacing admins. I don't have to go into the detailed timeline. But one of the leading theories is that, it, that some members actually came up with is that it was a binary truncation issue. And when they came out and tweeted it themselves, they found it as being something on the back end. So that binary theory may be correct. Um, so the guys who signed up for the first race, they had to complete it with less than 44X. 
They then also went ahead and announced fairly quickly that they are now going to run the second set with no limit. So we did get to run the second set with no limit. So there were two starts, and you guys ran the second start, and so that one was a no limit instead of the plan 300. And so, uh, yeah, I guess some teams might have been mad if they were in that first one and they got DQ'd out by incidents. Well, it was it could have been could have been pretty frustrating either way. Uh, I definitely we would have had a hard time getting through that track. I mean, you have to go so much more conservative. Um, and it's addressed. Greg also, who is the guy who's who made the big statement towards the end after it was all over mentioned that they are going to look at the track limit issues at spa some of them are just too uh it's 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 insane how tight tight the tolerances are in that race compared to anywhere else right yeah i'd have to agree with that as well uh i i participated last year in the event and even the smallest runoff especially through blanchemont which is the fast left kink uh you go anywhere on the little green portion on the runoff and get an instant x uh compared to other tracks like monza and uh imola imola especially you have so much runoff space there at imola but compared to spa i feel like as soon as you cross over that white line there's just an incident waiting to happen so i would like that to be addressed especially and you i mean we were just there was on my facebook timeline there was a nice replay of a three wide trip through uh a rouge and the the guy that was making the pass he took that runoff area so i you can't. I guess you can't completely open it up because you don't want them completely cutting that all the time. But it it's so picky there that that's why the X's rack up. Um, and with us knowing there was no limit, I ran my first stint with with no cares given and racked up uh, 60 X's in in two hours. So Greg West from iRacing did on Monday put out a nice official uh, apology kind of post. Um, normally we get these from Tony, uh, the CEO, but uh, to- Greg West has uh, put this one out. And, you know, he, he did say what happened, which was the binary issue and uh, so forth, uh, what they're going to do about it. They're going to look like David said, they're going to look at it again uh, and apologizes for uh, affecting the event kind of thing. Uh, there was community backlash, as you might imagine. Uh, there's a lot of information on the forums from people. Uh, that were not happy about this. Uh, you know, how come it wasn't tested? Uh, there was a, kind of a rant over at Simpit, uh, who has a YouTube channel. Uh, they kind of ranted a little bit about it. Uh, we had a Twitter user, StevieJB87, actually write up a good summary about what the community's feeling emotionally about this situation. Uh, he wrote up a, a nice little article, if you're interested, go check his uh, Twitter feed out. Uh, about, you know, hey, you know, we, we talked about this forever. Uh, there was no limit last year. They said it was going to be 300, and then it doesn't work, you know, and that kind of stuff. And so, uh, yeah, the forums were kind of ugly over the weekend because of this uh, nonsense. And you, can't really, you can't really say there's anything good to say about it, but except for the fact that they, they owned up to it and mistakes do happen, and uh, hopefully it doesn't happen again in, in this format. All right, let's talk about the good parts of the race, Brent. Yeah, so even though, I mean, the, this mistake did happen, there was clearly some, there was some good racing that happened. There was plenty of good things that happened throughout this event. There's even some funny stuff. One of the uh, most funny that, that we all saw, I think, now, was the Max Verstappen and his brake pedal breaking 10 minutes before the end of the event. His brake pedal fell off going into turn one, 
and Max had to swerve the car back and forth to scrub speed to not work to not wreck. This was all caught on Lando Norris's um, um, stream that he had put up, and I think it even surprised Lando at the time. If you go back and look at Lando's stream. When this happens, he's even surprised. He thinks that Max is joking. <laughs> he's screaming at him to pit, pit, yeah, pit. Yeah. Or toe, toe. He wants yep. him to pull over. And uh, Max continues to go on and tries to make it work. But I think Max realized pretty quick that you can't get around there without any brakes. So it was a pretty interesting moment that happened in the uh, in the event for them, at least. Can you imagine 10 minutes ago before before the end of the race, I looked at their stream. He had a full lap lead. and and your brake pedal breaks off. So there was some news about what might have caused that. There's a, there was, it was an old set of brake pedals that happened and um, might've been a different lug nut or lock lock nut that was used that is now being used. So that's part of it. It happens. Mistakes happen, right? You look at that as a part failure, but in the end it all worked out for them and they still went home with the win. And so those are Heiskenveld pot pedals. And uh, what's interesting is Niels Heiskenveld himself posted in the forums that he actually just sold Max, uh, uh, Max a uh, brand new set of his pedals, uh, the HE Ultimates, but Max hasn't installed them yet. Uh, they're sitting in a box in his room. And so he was still using the old pedals for the Spa, for the spa 24, and they happened to break. Part failures, man. They'll catch you at the least amount, the least opportune time. You know, you can't predict them. They just happen wherever they were. And this just proves another aspect of iRacing that brake pedal fails in real life. It's going to fail here. I want to point out how cool it is that Lando Norris and Max Verstappen, who are Formula One drivers on two different Formula One teams, are racing together in this spa event and win the top split. Uh, It is so cool that we have Formula One drivers, you know, taking this seriously and going for the win. Yeah, it's great to see those people continue to contribute to iRacing even after their uh, successful careers and the up-and-coming ones. I think we're going to see more of this in the future. We continue to talk about it, and it's great to see the the real-life transition over into iRacing and how it correlates back and forth with one another and see these professionals take part in this event. Jimmy Broadbent went and made a tweet. He came across information where there was 20,000-plus people that watched the finish, the finish of the Spa 24 across various streams and platforms. So think about that. For a 24-hour race, at the end of the race, over 20,000 people showed up for that. That's a big number. I mean, I don't it's think a, that IMSA gets numbers like that, you know? In today's niche viewing world, that is actually a big, big number. It's, you know, the media has changed. The world of the media has changed where... Uh, you don't have to get the same, you know, nobody gets the same ratings that somebody got when there were three channels. Right. Oh, yeah. Especially, like, even, like, peak last year, we, uh, towards the end of the year, we started posting our race on Facebook, and they would still pull at least, like, 130,000-plus views towards the end of the year on older videos. So the way we're all getting these races, especially through twitch and the youtube and all they're doing to expand all the different viewing angles it's it's incredible to see how far it's come and how it's affected the way we all take in sim racing as a whole from just even the game's perspective to other people's driving vantage points yeah autosport uh did an article as well on the verstappen win uh with lando norris uh nice to see them covering it as a, a true autosport it is uh david tell us about team tifosi's race well, we started P6. I was our starting and finishing driver. Uh, I got spun coming out of the chicane on my second stint. I was excited. We had a nice, clean first stint. And I had a driver behind me just 
overzealous. He apologized afterwards, but the damage was already done. It put, it banged up the nose. We had to fix. We had to basically repair the nose, and it, you know the car's never the same at that point. Uh, Craig Sykes took over. He's a friend of the team that runs a lot of the uh, endurance races with us. Gained a lot of track time. The guy was a beast in that car in that track. Mason hopped in, and he binned it. Uh, he had a good clean first stint, but on the second stint in the cold tires, he took it too hard through the through the kink, and that kink will it. That's a, basically one of the death knells in Spa if you overdo it. Uh, he bent he bent it. Then everybody else that ran, we we kept it clean and and survived to still bring home eighth. You know, so um, looking at the times people were running, I think we probably if we had not had the two instants, probably would have been a fourth or fifth place car. So it it wasn't a catastrophic crash in either in in either case but you know you definitely feel like we left some on the track good finish though p8 is a top 10 um, i would like to go ahead and say that uh you know i put in a lot of hours on running this as well as jumping right into an nis race and now that i've got my sim lab rig working and got it all positioned i never got uncomfortable and I definitely feel more comfortable with where the where the wheel is, but particularly the brakes and and using the brakes. Now that I've got that stable, that stability, uh, I just I never felt uncomfortable the entire race. the The weight on my on my tailbone and back is distributed better. All right, very good. Uh, Will, tell us quickly about Clint Boyer's video about iRacing. racing. Yeah, NASCAR America on NBC had Clint Boyer on and. Uh, they talked a little bit about the Peak Series and his partnership with iRacing and his late models. Um, one of the key things he said to take away from it is like, that's the racing you wish you watched on NBC. Um, pretty much referring to what the Sunday product is from NASCAR. So it's, uh, we know these guys are really involved in iRacing and iRacing's put on a better show than NASCAR at this point. All right, uh, Brent, build updates. Yeah, there was some information that came out this past week. If any of you guys listened to the iRacing Downshift podcast that was released, um, there was some information from Tony Gardner where he, he released the couple tidbits from the new build that's about to be released here in the fall. The first information he released was the new Audi TCR. So it was just tested and it is a blast to race. Um, there's also Barcelona, which is an absolute beautiful track put out by our art team the art team i think is definitely one of the most underappreciated aspects of the iRacing staff and to see everything that they're doing with these tracks and these new tracks i can't wait to see barcelona i think it's gonna be amazing to see yeah to that's see a world-class track yeah yeah i agree yeah it's gonna be great so i think uh hopefully they're getting their, their money's worth over there from those guys third thing he talked about was fairberry um you will see some cool action in the next day or so from that track so i haven't seen mm. anything yet but, a video. Okay. So hopefully within the next week, you know, we, we get some more information from that and get some renderings of that track. All three new Xfinity cars, including the Supra, look like they will make this build. He said there's no guarantees. Like, you know, we can't put a guarantee on a lot of things in life. But um, when it comes to iRacing builds, that applies to, you know, you, you just never know. So he said no guarantees, but it is trending in that direction. There was also information on the beta UI that was just released. Um, I... I used the beta ui today for the first time and i think it's drastically improved than what it was you know six months ago when i used it there's a lot of new features that they added it runs a lot smoother than it did before and there's a new section new section that is called up next and that is like a popular race guide 
that is on the member site for some of you people if you use that to find your races so if you guys haven't used the new beta ui i suggest you give it a check it out the artwork i think and the rendering is a lot better than the web page i think but there's still some features on the web page that we all that we all will like over the beta ui but don't discount it yet keep trying it it's a lot better than it used to be i know i'll be using it from now on yep yeah uh, I especially use it a lot to test. I mean, that's the, one of the main ways that we use testing, especially for Peak Series. Uh, without that UI, we'd, we'd have to s settle with the different conditions that we have and baseline conditions a lot, especially on the website. But with the UI, you're able to adjust times, adjust dates and all that and make it really spread the dates out and make it realistic for time-wise for the race. So I think it helps a lot with that. And it's like you said, it's improved a lot. Yeah, we were using the beta UI today. Um earlier this afternoon before we were testing for the NIS Open. And I will, I'll will i tell you this, I'll never use the website again for testing when it comes to these cars. Just everything you can do on the beta UI versus the website is a drastic improvement than what it was even six months ago. And like you said, from changing the, t changing the times and the weather and the track conditions, there's so much more you can do on the beta UI. Yeah, I looked at it. It's, it is better than it was. Uh, it doesn't have everything, though, that the website has. Like, if I go to host it, I want to see... I can hover over the helmet and see who's in the event. I can see how many people are in the event. You can't see that in the beta unless you click into it. And until they get every little thing like that that I'm so used to, I'm not going to be a fan. But Yeah, it's still a little bit of ways away. I'd say probably check in about the start of next year to see how far they've come off that. But it's definitely progress. But like you said, the little little small details they need to add. It's a year and a half in, I think, they've been working on this. But... Yeah, I would not be surprised by summer of 2020, maybe early part of 2021, everything's shift over to the beta UI, the way that it's tracking right now. It, as long as they don't leave you know, out stuff, I, as long as they eventually get it all, I, I'm happy with how long it takes. David, tell us about VRS at Nurburgring. VRS is at the ring. They have some gear there, and they have a booth at the ADAC Sim Racing Expo. Uh, there's, there's a nice tweet uh, where they show some of their equipment. So uh, if you live in Germany, go check out VRS at Nürburgring. Okay. Next up, I got uh, it's a forum post. Uh, some tips for a new iRacer on strategy. Uh, he was asking about pit strategy and whatnot. Uh, I actually answered his post and gave him my two cents, and I'm going to read it on air. It says, so strategy is learned while running races, experience, basically. Getting on a team is, will lower that learning curve. We have several people running at the same time. We're on TeamSpeak, constantly discussing and analyze everything about when to pit, tire wear, when to stay out, etc. We bounce ideas off each other. It really helps to be around people that know how all that stuff works. Also, just watching real NASCAR, too. But focus on one car. Track it throughout the race. When did it pit? What lap did it pit on? How long was the run? Was it four or two tires, etc.? Get the NASCAR app and listen to the team the whole race. So what would you guys tell a new uh, iRacer who's trying to learn NASCAR strategy? Well, one thing I start out with is just understand where you start at on a run and where you finish at a run and just analyze the fall off itself. So like for Pocono example, you could start out at a at a mid 51 second lap time and then by the time you reach lap 20 you then realize that you've fallen off a good two three four seconds so then you have to realize that once you pit you can easily get back down to the start times you just have to adjust for 
the tire advantage that you're going to get off the new stop. So once you get back on those tires, you have to readjust your driving style and all that. So like, let's say you just run like a, an a fix or anything like that. I think that's 40 laps or so this week. And ideally, you know, you can't make it 40 laps uh, based off your fuel number on the fuel map on iRacing. It'll give you a pretty good estimate. And once you're on track, it's better to look at that once you're, actually on the track rather than just sitting in pits so you get a good idea of how much fuel you burn off and that's good to estimate during your runs but going back to let's say about 40 laps you know you can't make it on a full tank you could probably run about 32 laps or so on a full tank of pocono so in your head you have to think to yourself oh i i can't make it to the end what's the best strategy for me to make it and you know how much fall off you have after a certain amount of laps so then in your head, you have to think about how do I have to cut the race in half? How am I going to play the pitch strategy and then go from there? So ideally, you'd like to cut races in half, especially the shorter runs. Uh, if you don't have to pit, you of course, you just run to the end. But if you have to pit and tires become a factor, uh, you then have to estimate the differences in pitting earlier. If I'm earlier, how much time will I gain compared to guys who are on older tires? And then if I stay out, how much time will I lose to those who are on tires? And it's all based on how you experience it and how you analyze it throughout the race. Yeah, yeah sure. You also, have to, you also have to consider how long you're going to be on pit road um, and how long, how deep you're going into it. Uh, like at Pocono, I've had this situation come up already several times. And uh, one of the times I was actually going to just take tires because even though they're two seconds faster a lap, it takes, it's a 50 second lap. So that, that takes, 25 laps to make up that difference yeah and another big thing is understanding the track itself i mean if you're if you're on a short track of course like a martinsville or something like that you're going to go multiple laps down due to the slower pace speed under and pit road and the uh, shortness of the track itself uh so like let's say for martinsville you go two laps down but at pocono you can still pit under green and basically still stay in the lead lap for the most part so you have to understand that as well and how much that affects how you're going to short pit or stay on with, with the people on their strategy. All right. Uh, in the interest of time, I'm going to skip ahead uh, to uh, podcast, Latart on Location, Episode 9, Will. Yeah, so uh, Steve Latart's podcast um, this week had actually Dell Jr. and Steve Myers um, talking about sim racing. Um, they talked about the history of sim racing at iRacing and Papyrus and all of that. Um, Del Jr. talked about his sim rig and how he's really only ever raced at a desk. Um, it sounds like he actually just ordered a new rig, so hopefully we'll see him on some more. Um, he told the story about the first time he ran at Lode Atlanta, used iRacing to prepare. Um, he also talked about how Paul Menard used uh, iRacing to prepare for Sonoma this year because they were going to be running that carousel, or they ran it. Um, he even Dell even stated how he actually prefers iRacing over the manufacturer simulators. Um, he says it's just more realistic. Um, Dave, um, I'm sorry, Steve talked about how iRacing has over 350,000 accounts with almost 90,000 active users. Um, they also talked a little bit about the financials of iRacing and stated that it takes about 100 to 150 thousand dollars to put together a track um and about eighty thousand to build a car and put it out with the um nurburgring costing almost half a million dollars to put out wow yeah did not this is the first time we've seen numbers like this i think 
Yeah, he was. They were very open to talk about it. They talked a little bit about like stealing Dell Junior's COT card to get it scanned for iRacing, and how they had to kind of do that in the the dark at night before they got caught. Um, so it was pretty fun. Uh, Dell mentioned that nowadays he could not even keep up with the peak driver, so it sounds like he is starting a new account. So his old account will still be there in the uh, in the record books with his stats, but we should be seeing a new Dell Junior account soon. Um, yeah, it was a it was a lot of really really good information. They went more in depth than I expected. Yeah, it was like an hour or something. And uh, yeah, Dale's going to work on his dirt license. Uh, he's starting over. Uh, he can't hold a candle to the peak drivers, is what he said. So they are the elite, the best of the best, as he called it. So pretty big compliment from Mister Dale Junior. Yeah, no, they were. I was surprised how open they were, especially about the financials. I know we don't get to hear a lot about about that when it comes to iRacing and uh this is the first time i've ever heard a driver compare iRacing to the manufacturer sims and junior i mean he was like plain and simple it's better yeah he said it was better than the chevy sim yeah he also goes in the they talk about how um the money available to iRacing to run this sim and to run this is a lot more than what the manufacturers have themselves you know so he made it sound like the budget for iRacing far away is that of the manufacturers, which I thought was pretty Well, they got reoccurring revenue, yeah. I think it's nice that iRacing is actually very transparent about letting these numbers out and letting us know how they actually operate when it comes to that, because understanding all these figures realizes and rationalizes how it, it is to actually run the service as a whole and puts us into perspective on how they have to take all these things into account with different tracks and different cars. Cause we can sit here all day and say, Oh, we want this track. Oh, we want this track. But then when you put numbers next to it, it's more understanding of why it takes time and how they want to be so precise with every little detail they put into it. So and- this is, this is two weeks in a row, if I'm not mistaken, correct. Where we've got something from iRacing, whether it be in a podcast form or, or through social media or, or some other form of where they've kind of peeled back the, the curtain a little bit and let us have a peek inside. You know, they, they talked, I think it was last week or two weeks ago on a, on a, on a forum where they, they discussed the tire model and how and what goes into making that tire model. And I don't think a lot of people realize what went into making that tire model. And hopefully after that podcast, they got a little more in-depth reasoning. And then for this, the financial aspect of, of iRacing and what goes into making a track. So it's great to see that they're starting to peel back that curtain a little bit. And hopefully we just get a better, um, we learn a little bit more about iRacing going forward. 80000 to build a car. So... That's at a minimum, right? Right. And we get almost free content very regularly. I mean, if you think about it, those three new updated um, Xfinity cars we get, those will more likely be free for most most of the members that bought them recently. We got updates to the Roval. That was free. So we really get quite a bit from them. It uh, makes iRacing sound a lot cheaper when they describe it that way. All right, I got the next one. Uh, we got a tweet from Adam Stern, uh, who is a uh, business sports reporter. Uh, he twittered about Na- about why NASCAR is not buying into the Heat series. He said NASCAR declined to join the joint venture between 704 Games and the Race Team Alliance that owns the E-Heat series, per sources, but the sanctioning body remains deeply involved despite not being an owner. He also stated the series was also wary about becoming an equity partner in an esports league because it's involved 
with a separate eSports series, the eNASCAR Peak Antifreeze iRacing Series. So as we've kind of alluded to before and, and read between the lines, uh, NASCAR is still with the Peak Series. Uh, this, this whole heat thing is something brought on by the Race Team Alliance in their uh, quest to make some money. I think it's interesting just the fact that we're even talking about this, about NASCAR being a part of the series and wanting ownership a part of series. I mean, a year ago, we wouldn't even thought about this. We were just still in our, our own little world. And now at the start of this year, it opened up so many doors and avenues to know that NASCAR wants to be a part of it, wants to see it expand, actually wants to have a piece of it and have their own say into what happens and wants them to actually grow as a whole sport. Yeah, I, I really like how NASCAR stands uh, in this situation, in this business situation. Uh, I think where they're standing their line is a, is a good stance to have. So, good kudos. All right, Jesse, real quick, the iRacer is getting it done in real life. Yes, iRacer Chase Cabre picks up another win, his second of the season, and two in a row in the K&N series at uh, NASCAR Home Track. Tweeted a short video of... Chase celebrating his victory at New Hampshire. That's uh, it's just it just shows you. I mean, that guy's on iRacing most of the time. Everything I knew was he was a dirt guy. So it's crazy just to see how he can adapt over there. And now two in a row, it's impressive. Yeah, he's getting it done. And uh, fellow uh, podcaster Tony Groves, who's not with us today, uh, he's been out going dirt tracking and looking at dirt races, and he met up. And had an iRacer meetup with none other than Christopher Bell. And uh, Tony's wife put up a picture of Christopher Bell with Tony Groves and uh, sitting in front of his uh, winged dirt car. Uh, pretty cool, Tony. And uh, we asked Tony if uh, we can, if he asked Chris to come on the show. And he did ask him about the uh, iRacer's lounge, but I don't think Chris had heard about it. But hopefully we got an in now. One thing I'll say about this before... Uh, is that I just love the accessibility that all these sports have, especially with uh, NASCAR and especially the dirt series. I mean, I I buy a, a pit pass to the, the World of Outlaws sprint car race at Charlotte and just be able to walk the garage and walk past Tony Stewart and watch them work on their cars as they go throughout the rest of the heats and stuff like that. So I just think the whole access portion of these racing sports is really good. Yeah, pretty cool, Tony. Tell us all, Come back and tell us all about it. Let's go to hardware software. Brent, tell us about your iFlag. Yeah, so I recently went out and purchased a, uh, I was looking for a, a, a purchase the iFlag in the iPitting box that is um, made by iFlag. And I was looking for something that could give me a visual recognition. And we've talked about the iFlag before. We've talked about what it could do, you know, and it's been around for a while. I believe it's been around since 2011. And what's what's new about this iFlag is they just released the iPitting box. And a lot of people say, well, why do I need the iPitting box? What's so special about it? What's different from sim racing apps or, or caps or anything like that? And this this is a, a review. I've had it now for about three weeks. And what I've really learned about it is everything is literally right there in front of my face. I don't have to look around on my four monitors that I got. I have it attached to my wheel. I just look down briefly. I see it. And this iPitting box, what it gives you is it gives information such as, you know, laps completed. How many sessions are, how many laps are left in the session? How many stints you have on these tires that you have? How many stints you've done total for the race? And what I've really come to love about the iPitting box is the five lap average that it gives you in time. It gives you a pit window too. So I, you know, you got sim racing apps, you've got the, 
the fuel calculations tells you how much fuel you need to the end. And I have yet to really find an app that I have been satisfied with that gives me the, the fuel range. You know, you got to pit between lap 36 and 70 or between, you know, or, or between 20 and 27. You got to pit between those laps to make it to the end. Right. And this, this app that I found here in this, this software that Jeff Brown created through iFlag and iPitting is wonderful for that. It, it gives me it that countdown. real clean look too. Yeah. It's sharp looking. You know, the, the only downside I would say that if there was a negative about it is that it's a little small, you know, but of, of course the larger screens that you get with this stuff, you've got to pay more for it. So if you guys would check out iFlag and, and iPitting, their website, it's going to be attached in our show notes. It's a um, wonderful thing. It's helped me. I've actually think I've won races because of it. I think I won last week at New Hampshire because of it and the pit strategy that came into play through that race and the surprising long runs that we had. And um, yeah, so that that's wonderful. And to put that in conjunction with the iFlag, the iFlag is unbelievable. It lights up my room. It lets me know the caution, lets me know when somebody's on my inside or outside. And uh, black flags, if, if I don't see those black flag indicators on my left monitor through iRacing, this definitely lets me know. So check them out. I highly recommend them. As far as third-party apps, they're probably one of the better ones that I have. Very good. All right, well, uh, DSD Derek Spears open wheel mounts. Yeah, Derek Spares uh, posted up a basically schematics, and uh, I'm not sure what it should exactly call it, but the stuff you need to 3D print and open source mount for the uh, SimuCube. Oh, the SC2 Sport and Pro, yes. So, yeah, so if you're looking for a mount for that uh, server, or servo, can't even talk right now, sorry. <laughs> Check out the forums there. You can search up Derek Spares and hopefully find that, but yeah, if you're Looking for that, he is posting that up, and he said he's going to 3D print his own soon, and there's possibly going to be steel ones shortly after that. Yeah, he's going to sell them because he's the distributor for the SC2 in the U.S., but you, but you, he's giving you this the blueprint, so to speak, so you can print your own if you want. All right, Jesse, a Logitech Sequential Shifter Mod. Got a post from Sim Racing Mods on Facebook, and they have created a G27 sequential shifter mod, the plate that goes over the top of your original shifter uh, shaft, if you will. And uh, it's just basically, it's just a, a vertical slot there that keeps it just straight forward and back, no side to side play at all. So it just goes from third to fourth, third to fourth, and then you Correct. can't do anything else? Okay. Yep. Nice. Nice little upgrade for a G27. All right, David, let's talk about dashboard support uh, for Fanatec. This is a uh, basically a mount that you can set for Samsung S8s and S9s and connect to Fanatec V2 and 2.5 uh, bases. So it, it's a it's nice little mount that'll hold your cell phone in place if you want to use it for a dashboard. Yeah, and I really want to get one of these. I wonder if it's compatible with the DD1. Uh, maybe. I'm looking at the, the holes on the DD1, and they may be about the same distance, uh, but you'd have to get the dimensions or maybe email them. Yeah, it's about $33. It's from Switzerland, uh, 33 US dollars. And uh, I'm looking at this uh, because I like to have my... I have an iPhone 5S. I use it with... Uh, oil temps and that kind of thing and uh i'm looking for a way to mount it so i might look at this all right uh jesse tell us about another upgrade for logitech users 
Yeah, GT wheel option for you guys. It's a $120 option from extremesimracing.com. And it's uh, it's just, it. you still basically, it'll mount right clean over the top of the uh, original button layout and everything. You just uh, do your, uh, remove your Allens, your six Allens there and remove the uh, original one, put the center section back down and bolt this one over the top, lays right over the top of a real nice clean look design. Uh, looks like it's uh just the the square design so there's nothing uh, over the center as far as button layout it looks like all those are still going to be the original buttons that you have from the original wheel so it's a real nice bolt and play go system for them kind of like a yoke uh, road wheel they also uh, sell uh, cockpits that look similar to gt omega cockpits uh, kind of a wheel stand uh, placed amount of wheel with uh, pedals real uh, low profile those actually look really nice. I, I've actually thought about getting one of those before, just just because of the wear and tear I've had on mine. So they look like really good, especially with the pedals as well. Because the one I have now, uh, the pedals are flat, and it's kind of annoying sometimes. Uh, just having to press down, have a, it's not very comfortable for my feet. Uh, so I feel like that would be really good, especially for uh, the pedals as well. Yeah, they got a version two wheel stand there that is super low profile and then they got uh, uh quite a few different things uh, check it out extremesimracing.com okay next up i found uh it's called iRacing config it's a free iRacing desktop application that allows you to edit all your iRacing ini files simultaneously using a simple interface and so the website is bazwise.com uh, backslash iRacingConfig. And you can go there and download this for Windows 10, 8, or 7, or Vista. And uh, you run it, and it basically, uh, all the app INIs are saved as separate files, and you can go in here and change them out easily. So this will allow you to switch between triples and VR. Or VRs back to triples or whatever. Basically, it does all the hard work for you, Mike. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, it's a we, you know a lot of people just copy paste the app INIs from a one folder to another, and it's kind of a cumbersome procedure every time you do that. And so this app app will speed that up basically. So check it out. Uh, I don't have a need to switch mine out, but if I did, I'd be using that. Will uh, we got a rig review, Dennis Koski? Yeah, Dennis Koski posted up some pictures of his rig on the forums, and this rig, he says, it's taken a little over two years. It's been a nonstop project, but this is a beautiful rig. Um, pictures are kind of dark, but when you start going through it, he's done a really good job. Um, he's got it looks like a Summit uh, Experience GS5C. He has Gecko GS105 Motion. He has the large mid, a 22-bit BIS-C encoder, Husenvelts pedals and shifter he's using sim vibe with four butt kicker advances four butt kicker gamer twos he's got triple msi 32 inch curved monitors with a fourth aces 4k overhead for telemetry um this thing is just a beautiful rig and he uh no, no wires to be seen anywhere so he's done a good job with his cable management you so can't he, see a wire has, if you tried he has both the triples and the and the rift listed listed this rig is 100% the opposite of yours, David, as far as wire management. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting here thinking if I posted my picture how much trolling I would get over wiring management. 
Look at the amp rack he's got for the amps for the butt kicker. I mean, it's impressive the way he's got everything laid out and set up. And uh, there's some power supplies underneath that. He's got him a kitten with a, a black skirt or something. Uh, he's got seat belts. I mean, he's got everything. I Actually, wish my rig. Sorry, go ahead. Are you good? I wish my rig was half as impressive as this. I'm just on a little monitor, one screen. <laughs> Yeah, pretty crazy rig. Uh, so we had to talk about it. Congratulations to Dennis Koski. You got a nice setup. Uh, David, uh, a website we've talked about before, but is very handy. Yeah, it's been upgraded to HTML5. It's a nice little uh, website that pops up your um, every USB device that you have. It's basically a game controller and will test all of your joystick buttons and the whole nine yards and it's they're all listed on the sing, single page html5gamepad.com and when you go to that website and you push a button it will show you on the website you pushing that button and it's a good way to test your all your devices your input devices your brake your pedal your steering wheel your buttons this is a great way to kind of troubleshoot all right, let's jump uh, to the Frex Shifter. Uh, I got this one. This is a U uh, YouTube by Sim Racing Garage. And they did a review of 45 minutes on this device called the Frex Shifter. Uh, it's metal. Uh, it's kind of an interesting little box with the shifter kind of in front of it, above it. Uh, what do you guys think when you take a look at this thing? It's an H pattern. It looks like it's just really simple, and that, that's what has kind of has a little charm to it with that. But it, it it's just so simple compared to like with the G27 that I have. It just looks so clean compared to it, and it just looks like the functionality looks really easy to use. Yeah, the website is frex.com with an X, and uh, it says forty-nine thousand eight hundred yen, however much that is. I think it comes out to about $500. Um, I think there was a site we talked about in the past somewhere out of Canada that had it about the same right. price as well. Right. Four fifty eighty nine, About 450 to $5. All right. Let's keep moving. Let's jump to the NASCAR iRacing Series results. Uh, last week, New Hampshire, Thursday fixed, I ran P2. Wow. A great race for me. It was I was dead last a lap down at one point. Uh, made my way back up through there. Uh, was P2 on the green-white checker, but could not get it done. But very happy with the clean race. Uh, thanks to Jesse uh, for coaching. Lane choices at the end, uh, it made a big difference. I mean, I wasn't P2 until Jesse came on and literally talked me through the corners, uh, telling me how close people were next to me, which made a huge difference. And uh, got up to P2, so very happy with that. Uh, Tony Rochette, he got a DNF, got caught in a wreck early, was three laps down, but made it up. 45 to go, was running mid-pack and started to overheat. Uh, not the car, but his computer. Uh, he has a room with no AC where he lives, and his computer was getting hot. So uh, Friday open, Mason ran. He uh, says, crap. He wrecked uh, himself out at the end. Uh, Sunday open. David, you got a P8. Yeah, I was putting the wall by a guy pretty early. He just he got tight and put me in the wall, apologized for it. Damage was done. It was about four minutes. 
uh, and was running about 30th at the beginning of that, but it was a carnage race and a high caution count allowed me to sneak back up to P8. All right, and then Mason Stiver, P1, he wins. He said, was finally able to find the golden horseshoe thanks to Brent McCoy's setup. Ran in the top three all race, leading many laps. I had to keep playing the strategy of staying out, pitting, taking two tires. And most of the time I was able to pass anyone who took two tires within a lap or two. The final restart with 12 to go came down to Dickert, uh, who had two tires and I had four. Dickert got the advantage on the start, but I caught up to him quickly. Then a lapper came out of the pits, causing me to squeeze the gas too much out of the turn two, and I almost wrecked. Fell back to one and a half seconds back, cranked all the front brake I could into it, and hunted Dickert down to pass him with two to go. It was a fun and respectful race at the end. And then Brent, you win Sunday Open as well. That's your third in a row? Uh, well, this was my second. It was a uh, this race right here was my second, but yep. it was a good race. Setup was on point. You know, I don't uh, put some work into it, and whatever we did, got it hooking real good and from center off, and it uh, it turned well. I qualified P twenty one and immediately made my way up to the front. Like I said, led one hundred nine laps out of the one hundred fifty one, and after I got the lead, it was never really in jeopardy. You know, I I ran a A open that Jesse was a part of earlier in the week, and. At one point, I had an 18-second lead on the guys, and and I uh, I blew the motor on lap 92 or 93. Was it Jesse after leading all those time? And I think it was it, six uh, to go. Yeah, it was like it was six, six to go. go. I blew blew the motor, and I made some adjustments on that, so that would not happen again during this 151 lap lap race. And it turned out well. Setup was good. So after you guys win, and I was excited going into Sunday night. Um, our, uh, about 100 laps or so into the race. Caution came out. I was actually involved in it. It had a little bit of damage. But uh, the pace car never came out during the caution. It stayed on pit road. And this is like the first time I personally have been involved in one of these races, I think. Uh, and so all of a sudden, everybody in the race is faced with a, what do we do? Do we just roll around at caution speed? Do we go at speed? Because we're under caution. It's saying stay behind the pace car. Uh, what do you do? Do you try to finish the race? Do you park? Do you quit? And so all the people in the race did various things. I decided to go and go at speed, and I actually got the lead. Uh, and so I ended up running uh, to the end of the race, and then it went green-white checker one, and then it went green-white checker two, and then it went green-white checker three, and then it never ended. The race never ended after that. Okay, it, it just kept adding to the the race distance, and I think that Mason said that the length of the event was six hours, and so eventually I kind of quit. I had to go do something and leave the house for thirty or forty-five minutes. So I parked the car uh, on track, and then I left, and then I came back forty-five minutes later. Dallas, my hand, uh, he had a different strategy. He decided to not pit and go really slow. And he went 10 or 15 miles an hour around that track for several hours until he was the last person left. He never pitted for gas, and he ended up winning the race. Because I pitted like at least three times because I was going at speed, I actually ended up like 19th. I was one of the first people DQ'd. And so you get DQ'd based on when you pit, if you pit and when you pit. And so Dallas ended up winning the race because he didn't pit. 
and he was the last person left in the room. That Mike. is that is so wild. Like I, I'd never think of like that to happen. Like I couldn't imagine what you were thinking about doing. Like when it first came out, and you're like, "Oh, this isn't good." Imagine if that happened. In the peak Sorry. race or something. Yeah, in a peak race. Oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't even think about what happened. I, I'm pretty sure we'd have to put up a separate server at that point right. just to finish the rest of it. But yeah, it's, that's just one of those things where you're like, did this really happen? Is this really going to work out, you know? So cool. I, I ran two fuel runs after the checkered was out to try to win this race because most people left. And there were other people that just parked on the track and just waited. And they, you know, everybody had a different strategy because nobody knew what to do. Yeah, see, earlier when me and Chris had this at Road to Pro, and I want to say it was Dover, we had to run 61 or 64, somewhere in there, a little over 60 laps, and nobody changed anything. Everybody rolled around probably 40 miles an hour over pace speed, probably about 100 miles an hour, and we just rolled around there until it was over, and it, the field froze just as it had. Nobody nobody passed anybody, though. So that's I wonder what the deal was there, Mike, as far as I wonder if somebody threw that whole thing out the window because we definitely it gave us a checkered flag like it should have. Everything was good to go. It was pre-green-white checkered, so I don't know if that would have made a difference. Well, I had to do with pitting would get you a bad result. And the new green-white checker thing made it where it never ended. So when you did it back in Dover, the race eventually ended, right? Correct. It ended just as it should. It was clean. We got the white flag right. like we should have. We got the checkered right. flag. Nobody, nobody got out of line. It was great. Yeah, this one never ended, so it eventually timed out overnight. So the next day, I had to look at the results, and I was like 19th. I think the the way they did it back in the day before uh, before Greenwood Checkers was you basically just don't pit. You go as slow as possible, and you run. And I remember the first time I heard about it, they all got black flagged because they passed the pace car. So I think what they did was they just tried to go as slow as possible for as long as possible. And they, I mean, I remember that told me they were like clutching back during like the old NISs back when it happened in like 2016, just so they can go further than everybody else. So, yeah. That's exactly how Dallas Myhan won the race. He was clutching it, going 10, 15 mile an hour around that track over and over for hours. And there were other people sitting in the room waiting him out too. So uh, when I left, uh, there were three people left still, and they were kind of waiting each other out. Let's keep going. Pocono, Wednesday fixed. I ran. I got a P10. Uh, ended up running 15th to 20th most of the race. Did a two-tire stop with about 25 to go and got the lead from that. I fell back quickly, though, to about 16th, but made it back up to 10th uh, through several cautions. There were like two before the end of the race and then three green-white checkers. And uh, it was such a, it added like 30 minutes to the race because of the green-white checkers. Because uh, cautions are so long at Pocono. Uh, Brent, you had a P28. Yeah, top 10 majority of the racing. I got caught up in an accident late. So that happens. It's Pocono racing. It's tough. Fixed, fixed series. They're tight as tight can be, and it's hard to pass. Okay. Uh, I ran a Wednesday Open, got a P4. Uh, I was heavily damaged from a net code incident in turn two. I wasn't even close to the guy. I was able to rally back for a P4, though, after all the late cautions. Wow. So a P10 and a P4 for me. I'm really happy this week uh, with those results. But that net code, I, I shared a video with the team. I wasn't maybe two feet from the guy, and it put me in the wall. Yeah, the net code's been an issue as of late. Uh, 
especially within the, the tighter series, like peak and stuff like that. I remember like there being at least two feet between people of uh, netcode, and it affected a lot of people's races. And it's just it's gotten to the point where it was a it was a huge issue, and even iRacing addressed it a, a while back. And recently, it's been better, but it's still had its incidents where it's just been so much of a factor that you couldn't even race anybody that tightly. Right. Yeah, I ran in my split by myself. Uh, it was an ugly race, caution field. I finished P7, just had to get aggressive towards the end and make aggressive passes because we were having two lap runs. And I think until the, the last run, we only had three, uh, we only had we had like a 19 lap run at the very at near the end and every other time it was three lap run three lap run for the whole race and then we had three green white checkers and i just i survived enough of the damage to come in seventh all right and then brent you win this is the third one in a row yeah this is number three in the past three weeks in the nis open series so got the p1 here for the uh at pocono it was a good race the car the setup we were trying something different this week and it um it was challenging at best. I don't know which was more challenging, the setup itself or the or the track. Led thirty of the thirty one of the eighty laps, so led the most laps in the race and just try to keep it out front. You know, that you don't want to get caught back in traffic. That's probably the worst thing you do here at Pocono because everything gets so tight. So it was it was a good race and I was pretty happy to come away with a W for this one. We were really pleased with that set, but we both agreed that it still has a little bit of a parachute effect, even though it can turn better in the in, in, in the corners than anybody else. Yeah, they were getting me on the straights every time, but then in the corners, I would blast by them, and it was a trade-off, but it was kind of working for me. Uh, let's, let's talk about today's race, the Open. Uh, Mason, uh, he wrecked out on the first lap. He had too much wheel in turn two, eight minutes damage. Uh, he tried to soldier on, but he ended up blowing the engine on the first green-white checker. Uh, I also got wrecked out and ended up with a blown engine. Uh, some guy door swiped me. Uh, he just came up out of the bottom. I left him about two lanes. I was in the third lane, and he came up and killed me. Uh, and he, he said, oh, I looked at the replay. You came down on me, but I didn't see it. Uh, Brent, you looked at the replay. Uh, the guy just took me out. Yeah, it's, you know, at some point, when you're entering a turn, turn three at Pocono, you got to make that turn to the left, you know, and you can't just keep going straight. So that's on him. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was. So I had a bad finish, but uh, the set was fun uh, based on it was different than what other people were running. Well, hopefully we'll have some better results through the rest of the week. Uh, so we'll jump on to the standings. Our team standings are powered by iPitting. iPitting makes it easy for you to keep track of your iRacing team's progress through the season and with up-to-minute race results, point standings, and driver rankings for everyone in your team. So go to iPitting.com. And we have, I uh, believe, a new leader in the open standings. Stiver has taken the lead. He now has four wins, and he's really heated it up in the, in the middle of the summer. Rochette is behind by six points. I'm trailing in third, 22 behind. And then we're, it's starting billing... Chris are starting to fall a little away with a 45 point and 47 point deficit. Cool. Then down in uh, uh, fixed, Brent is continuing to lead. Ellison Hole's leads can our deficits have come back just a little bit. They are 30 and 33 points behind. El, uh, McCoy has seven wins in the fixed series. Damn. A and uh, Bill has two. And Rochette's 
uh, tugging along 100 points out. But we do have drop weeks, so it could all change. All right. Thanks, David, for the eye-pitting update. Uh, let's jump into final thoughts. Brent McCoy. Yeah, not a whole lot happening. You know, just uh, you guys interested in what we talk about here on the podcast, check out our show notes. They're linked um, on our on, on the show notes themselves, on the show themselves. So check it out. The show notes are a huge opportunity for links to the hardware and stuff that we talk about. Uh, we were just talking about that today, about the amount of information that we're gathering. And uh, you guys have access to it as listeners. So check it out. There's a link in our on our Facebook page that I believe is sticky towards the top where you can find all those show notes. Yep. All right, David Hall, final thought. I'm loving the rig. It's it's been a huge. I mean, the wheel was a huge difference maker, uh, but the rig is really great too. And I've gone ahead and ordered DSD panels to slap on there. Brent talks me into it, uh, and I went ahead and ordered a Fanatec shifter because I just. In the cup car, I have almost blown a race a couple of times by accidentally shifting one too many gears. So I want my H pattern back. Did you get two, one for the left and one for the right? They only come in pairs, yes. Oh. What color? Um, so there was no color choice. So oh, I think they have a bunch of different colors. Not on the not on the PD not on the podium one. It was pretty. Oh. There was no color choice on the on the order form. Okay. Jesse Gray, final thoughts. Yeah, I uh, got pretty humbled last week in New Hampshire. Was rolling momentum, I thought, but I uh, guess it's time to bounce back in Pocono. And uh, thanks for Michael for coming on. It's great to have you, and hopefully we can turn around and move forward. All right, very good. Will Gibson, final thoughts. Will? He had a computer crash. Oh, all right. And then uh, special guest, Michael Gorilla. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, give us your final thoughts. Yeah, I, I, thanks for having me on, guys. It was a blast. You, you, all the stuff I've learned just going through this uh, podcast about all the different stuff, like, like the different software, the different uh, hardware that's involved with our racing is really interesting to me, and I'm, I'm going to get more into it as I need to. And I just want to say what a day for sim racing as a whole. I mean, first ever peak race broadcasted live on TV. The whole world got to see what we get to do every Tuesday night. Uh, it's just a huge stepping stone for Irising as a whole, and hopefully we can go further with it. But yeah, once again, thanks guys for having me on. Yeah, it's a huge moment in iRacing. This is, uh, when you look back at the history of iRacing or sim racing, today will be a day that's marked down because it's the first time on broadcast TV. So uh, congratulations, Michael, for being involved in that. That is kind of cool. It was cool just to watch it as a, as a I, I racer, you know, and I'm proud of it as well. But to be involved is pretty cool too. Yeah, part of me wished I could watch it instead of being a part of it, just because I wanted to see how the, the analysts were taking a hold to it, how people were watching it on Twitch and YouTube and all that. But yeah, it was just fun being a whole part of it as a as a whole collective group. Yeah, the presentation was great. Uh, they they need to do better on the handoff with the announcers, but it was the first time. I'm sure they're going to get better. They'll definitely get at it. Yeah. All right. Uh, my final thoughts. Wow. I took a couple days off to accept my wheel that shipped early, uh, the Podium DD1. I got it on Tuesday. Uh, install and deboxing went great. I got it all set up, ran all kinds of different cars. I started in the Mazda. I went to the NASCAR Cup car. I did some dirt trucks, uh, kind of across the board. 
I tried it at 100%, ended up switching it down to 50%, where it's where David runs. I'd hit auto force feedback in the sim at the 50%, and I was happy with that. I ran all day Tuesday, went to bed. Wednesday, I wake up, I fire up the computer, I turn on the, the wheel, everything's good. I uh, look at what race I want to try, I walk away, I come back, the wheel is off. It won't turn on. I push the button, no power. I look at the power supply, it's got a, a green light on it, like it's got power. And there's only one button on the damn thing. I push it and push it, I hold it down, I push it three times, I push it five times, I push it a million times. It doesn't turn on. I contacted La Fanatec, told them what, uh, on their website. A day later, they said, send a short video and we'll RMA it. I sent a video, and now I'm waiting for RMA return instructions. Uh, ugh! I'm so frustrated about it, but what can I do about it? You know, I, I got to return it. I got to get another one. Obviously, they'll get me one, and I'll be happy. The rim, I love it. The wheel, I, the actual rim with the hub. It feels like a real race car wheel, and I can't be more pleased with it. And the first day I got to run with it, wow, what a difference it is from the G27. I could feel stuff like wheel chatter and slippage and stuff I would never feel with the Logitech G27. And so I am super excited, but kind of uh, at a, you know, a, a lull now because it's been taken away from me, and hopefully it won't be long before I get one. And so uh, pray for me with the steering wheel gods, and uh, hopefully I'll get a steering wheel soon. And with that, we'll see you later. Thank you for listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast. Make sure to go subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, Facebook, and Twitter. See you on the track.